once again into the soccer OG. Hey, that's me, Max Bretos. This is episode 80. 80. 80s. We're living in the 80s. Killing joke. Remember that jam? No, that's why I'm the OG, because I'm old. You probably don't remember that. But here we are, trucking right along on our little podcast, growing by leaps and bounds. As always, reminding you to rate, review, download, subscribe, and tell a friend. If you haven't already, Soccer OG, nominated for Best Soccer Podcast, go vote for our show, or vote for any of the shows up there. Just vote, but vote for this one. WorldSoccerTalk.com. WorldSoccerTalk.com. Go into the, uh, the Best Podcast and vote for the Soccer OG. We are not going to win it. The Scuffed Podcast is running away with it. They are deserved winners. We had Adam Bells from the Scuff Podcast here uh, a few months back. I, it's, I believe it's one of our two or three or four best performing podcasts. Adam's great, has a great following, and does a great job. Listen, that's one of the podcasts I listen to and, and enjoy a whole lot. But uh, we're in second, a clear second. Let's stay in second place, unless you guys really get inspired, really love the podcast, and let's pip the Scuff Podcast at the death. At the death. Just catch them at the tape. We need a lot of votes, though. But still, I've been blown away with the support. And just to be nominated, as I said last week, is pretty thrilling. But enough of that. Let's tell you about what's happening this week. We have a lot of unique tournaments going on, particularly in the women's game. So I thought it was instrumental that we had former U.S. soccer midfielder and great commentator now for a variety of networks. She works for ESPN, CBS, Fox. She's seeing everything. It's Lori Lindsay. we're all trying to watch more of the women's game. Me in particular, haven't watched a lot of the Euros, but I'm going to because there's some great games coming up. We had USA-Canada on Monday night, breaking that down as the USA wins CONCACAF in, in a matchup of which you could say the best two teams in the world. You have the world champion versus the Olympic champion. So, Lori Lindsay, a great one to, I think you, I've already recorded the interview. You will learn a lot about what's happening and, and see why women's soccer is something you have to vest in. Much like we say the 2026 World Cup is going to change things for the men's national team in this country and for much of the soccer world. The 2023 World Cup, as Lori is going to point out, could be a game changer for the women's sport in total. So we're, you don't want to be left off the wagon, right? Get on it. No jumping off the wagon. That's coming up in the business end. In stoppage time, Greg Berhalter is doing a nice Hollywood tour, hitting up with a lot of people. He met with Hercules and Sebastian Salazar, and he also uh, sat down with Colin Coward, amongst others. We'll break down what the message is and what do we learn about Greg Berhalter doing this media tour right now. That is in stoppage time. We have a lot to get to and a short time to get there in the great words of Jerry Reed. So let's go. call this segment. It's kind of like the bridge where I get to unload a few things that we won't talk about specifically in the business end with our guest or in stoppage time where it's more topic specific. But uh, I do like to update with some things that uh, tickled my interest. Uh, we will talk about this with Lori Lindsay about the U.S. defeating Canada. And, you know, I talked to a lot of people last before the game on Monday night and they, Canada was getting a lot of love. And for good reason, the U.S. in this period where they are adjusting, where they're incorporating some younger players, were able to, uh, they were very wasteful. I mean, they missed so many clear-cut chances, one after the other. It was frustrating. I was like, this is a game they lose one set because they were so wasteful. But they eventually got the penalty. Rose Lavelle, Rose Lavelle getting this heat because they said she dove. She didn't dive. She was just perfectly coming across. And that's how you do it. You're looking for contact, right? That's exactly what the team needed. They were not executing in the run of play. So Rose Lavelle put it on her shoulders and said, we're going to get an opportunity to score via set piece, the best set piece, a penalty. Came across, defender brushed her leg. She went down. Was it soft? Heck yeah, it was soft. I don't care. We got to get over this, right? Where we're like appalled. Some folks in Canada were appalled. They go, "Get over it, Canada, Canada." You know, I love you. I'm going to talk about you with Laurie, and I'm putting your national team over. And it's a really exciting group. And by the way, yeah, Christine Sinclair, 
some point, these, these players have to step aside and let some younger options. There's younger options everywhere. And I know Christine Sinclair is an anchor and she's a figure and people respect her and she's a leader, but no, no. You, you're going to this new movement of players. That's got to be comprehensive. So, And I've said this before, and that's one of the issues I have with the women's game is some of these older players stick around forever and they get 300 caps, 350 caps. Like, no one should have that many caps. No one. It's not a good sign. So uh, I'm a big fan of Christine Sinclair, what a legend she was, but it's time to let someone else have a run. So uh, I love what Rose Lavelle did. Uh, Sophia Smith, I'm a huge fan. Trinity Rodman didn't really play, came on at the very end. I mean, they didn't even use the subs. Uh, Vlad Gondonovsky. So um, it was, you know, this, was, this wasn't a, a, a game of win or die, you know. They could... There was they were hoping they could win with the eleven, but if it was a real you know win or else game that they could have approached a little differently, maybe the lineup would have looked a little differently. There are some issues with the U.S., and that is uh, what's pretty exciting to talk about because there's an opportunity for that gap to close. We need the gap to close, but I'm also excited about how the U.S. responds because no one has more talent, but they've got to get the right pieces in place. That's why it's a big job. Love seeing Alex Morgan after the game and. Much like Cameron Smith, who won the British Open, and he said about the the Open Championship, I should say, how much could he, how much beer he could put in the claret jug? Alex Morgan said, "How many margaritas can I put in the Concacaf W Championship trophy?" And she fit twenty. Athletes that drink and are, are <laughs> after deserving a, a frosty cold beverage have my utmost respect. I love it. It's not for everyone, but sometimes after hard work, after playing over several weeks in it getting your game to a level you deserve a trophy full of 20 icy cold margaritas so congratulations there also um closer to home here for me Giorgio Chiellini and Gareth Bale making their debuts for LAFC it was I get to call that game against Nashville I can't tell you how exciting that was and to call Gareth Bale coming out onto the field this is this is something very special happening here so I was thrilled to be part of it and I also say the other podcasts I do, Inside LAFC, MVP, the Max and Vince podcast, we're going to have one coming out Wednesday with Giorgio Chiellini. So you can tune into that as well. You'll have a healthy dose of Max, and, which is probably more than you would really like. But there you have it. Obviously, it's the silly season. We're looking for Americans. The, uh, the Zach Steffens uh, loan went through. Tyler Adams and Brendan Aronson playing for Leeds United. It's off to a very optimistic start. Christian Pulisic staying with Chelsea. And we'll talk about Pulisic in stoppage time when I address it with Greg Berhalter. I've always pushed for him to get out of there, but it's clear there's no market for him. I have a video up on YouTube under the soccer OG under my name. Max Bretos goes in more detail about how what the expectations for Christian Pulisic at Chelsea are. Because there's an opportunity for him. He has to really dial it in. And there's relationships he has to massage with Thomas Tuchel. But this the, this the the level of player that he's up against is attainable. That makes sense. I don't think it did. But Raheem Sterling comes over. He may not be a direct competitor for Raheem Sterling. I think Raheem Sterling plays more in that central role. Because they're going to want him to score a lot of goals. So you're dealing with... How do I get minutes over Timo Werner and Kai Havertz? Mason Mount's going to play a little bit withdrawn. It really comes down to Havertz or Pulisic, I believe. Callum Hudson-Odoi, he's emerging. Uh, Hakeem Ziyech has not really been in the mix. So he's going to play Christian Pulisic. The question is, does he play enough to get ready for the World Cup? He doesn't have to start every game. As long as he starts maybe one out of every, let's just, let's, let's set a low bar. He starts one out of every three games, and then he plays in those other two games, uh, 30 to 40 minutes. I think that's acceptable. But there was talk about Juventus. I saw Giorgio Chiellini on uh, with Hercules and Sebastian Salazar, and they asked him, what do you think about Pulisic at Juventus? And he said, that's the first time I heard of it. And if he's saying that, and he's so embedded with Juventus, then that really wasn't on the offer. Matthias De Ligt, was, he was going to be part of that move of Juventus to Bayern. Well, Bayern have now gotten Matthias De Ligt, and they didn't get Christian Pulisic uh, in return. So it's not happening. He makes too much money. There is not a market for a mid... He doesn't want to go to a mid-table club. He should stay at an elite club. So... What is that? 12 teams on the planet? 
So it's up to him. And that's what you sign up for when you play for a club of this nature. A lot of teams on tours. Exciting. Uh, Barcelona. I, I missed Chelsea here. I should have had my head on a swivel, but I wasn't able to get through there. Lewandowski deal includes, I mean, again, Bar- if you haven't read the article by Sid Lowe about how Barcelona is doing business, I highly recommend it. It should be on one of the ESPN platforms. But they're banking against future earnings. They're using their future earnings to buy now. It's an incredible gamble. But I think it's the right move because Barcelona, after the momentum they picked up last season, can't come off the boil. They got to keep going. But they got in Rafinha and now Robert Lewandowski, who, by the way, I don't think has ever scored a World Cup goal. <laughs> he is the fifth signing for Barcelona. And it is a big money. Money has 12 months remaining on his Bayern contract. Moved to Barca for 45 million euros slash dollars. By the way, euros and dollars are worth the same. Can you believe it? It gives you pause too, because they say the the uh, the economy in the U.S. is doing so poorly, and it is, but it's doing better than Europe. <laughs> and Europe obviously has a lot, a lot of bigger issues with what's happening in Ukraine. Uh, but Barcelona will uh, uh, there'll be a release clause. With a four-year deal worth about half a billion dollars, which is crazy. I like Lewandowski, but we'll have to see how he goes. But if Barcelona wants him, they have a plan. I trust in what they're going to do. La Liga, as we spoke to Alejandro Moreno, and check out the old podcast, is going to be a spectacular watch. So a lot to get to, but we already have a great show for you. Let us get into the business end with Lori Lindsay. Stick around for stoppage time as we talk about the Greg Berhalter media tour. This is the Soccer OG. Vote for us on World Soccer Talk. Dot com, WorldSoccerTalk.com for best podcasts. We're now in the business end, and we're joined here by a good friend of mine, Lori. Everyone's a good friend of mine. Otherwise, I want to reach out to them. Lori Lindsay, former U.S. soccer midfielder, now uh, shredding it up in the uh, broadcast circles covering the uh, the Euro 2022. And obviously we'll see her a lot on ESPN as well as CBS Paramount. You're, uh, I gave you some advice. I go, don't stay. I think I said, don't stay in your lane. And you're living up to that. <laughs> yeah, you were. I, we were talking about fair. And well, first of all, it's great to see you. Thanks for having me on. And um, yeah, you know, like, listen, you were awesome in my early stages and early days being like, this is the deal, right? Keep going. And I took that, I took that advice seriously. And so, I mean, there's more to it, right? There's a lot more to that conversation, but basically I am grateful for the feedback and the, the knowledge and I, I took it seriously and ran with it. So, hey, well, look, you, you, you do <laughs> a great, you genius, do a, basically what I'm saying. Well, it's a, t- it's a, t- you've got to be good at where you do what you are, but it's also a networking thing and you, you know, uh, people are looking for voices and stuff, but they, they, they're kind of limited with what they look for. So you kind of have to meet them halfway and it's hard to do that. It's hard to find out who that person is, but you've, uh, you seem to have gotten a good balance of being able to do that. It's, it's a tough gig, but, uh, how, how are, how are you been with that? Because there's work, you're finding it. And it's, uh, obviously the more reps you get, the better you're going to, you're going to be at this and you get more comfortable and you make more contacts, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing to remember is that like, it's like anything, right? Like for me, it feels a lot like my playing days because it is, it is reps, it's the understanding, right? Because <laughs> when you just think if you're just watching as a fan and you're hearing somebody, it sounds like, oh, this person's just talking on air, right? But there's so many components to what's happening and the prep beforehand, what's happening live during the game. And so it's, it is, it's television. There's more, there's energy that has to be manufactured. I mean, obviously, hopefully the games are exciting themselves, whatever that is. But um, yeah, there's a lot of, nuance to it I would say that you have to learn um besides just understanding the game of soccer so but I've loved it um it's been definitely like a a learning process keep going and I've really enjoyed the people I've met and like I said feels like my playing days again and just kind of learning and maneuvering in different ways just like in your playing days if you're in a big tournament you're going to be a lot better at what you do by the end of it. So now you're broadcasting the Euros for ESPN and I, I, I wanted to have you on I've watched some of it but I'm I, I am going to watch a lot more now starting. We're recording this on a Tuesday, Wednesday. We start the quarterfinals. I encourage everyone to do it. Uh, like most of the women's competitions, they are, they're trying to get the width and breadth of countries to raise their standard. And some are doing it. It's not there yet, but every year it's getting closer. So mm-hmm. before I ask you about that, after this tournament where you're calling games for the Euros and you'll take it all the way through, you'll watch, you'll come out and go, I feel, 
this is like secondhand. I've got this down bad. I mean, you have to be feeling that as is with a steady flow of games coming in. Yeah, I mean, the, the games have been amazing. And I think you're exactly right. Whenever you have a little bit of a rhythm, right, it always helps. And, and the team that we have here has been phenomenal. I think for all of us, it also feels like reunion. Steffi Jones has been in studio. She was a teammate of mine with the Washington Freedom 20 years ago. Danielle Slayton and I have known each other for 25 years and played together and great friends, right? Julie, same thing, 20 plus years. So it's like all of this group and everyone's collaborating, you know, you're talking behind the scenes, your thoughts and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, there's definitely like a flow. And um, as I was telling you off air, this is our first day off in like a couple of weeks, really. Besides it was like- You're, sp- you're spending it on here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You look, I get to talk to you. Um, so yeah, it's been fun. I mean, it is like, it is nice to have that rhythm and a steady flow, as you mentioned, and also like, they're fun games, right? These are teams that are like everyone, the women's game has been growing and there's some surprises and then not some surprises, some teams that we thought were gonna be better, some teams that are much better than we originally thought. So yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun and I'm, I'm really enjoying the time. And these are gonna be fantastic games. And I would just say uh, for me personally, because uh, soccer in general, the broadcast side of it with the men's side, which, which started first, we started getting some voices and some breaking news type folks and all of that as it got embedded into the sports culture in this country. And it's at a good spot now. And then the women's game is starting. And now we have people like you and you mentioned Julie Fowdy. I saw Brian Ascari last night and people working, uh, Kaylin Kyle, who was there for the USA Canada game, people that we trust. And that it takes a while to do that, but we're getting there at the point. And it's, it's a great feeling because it feels like if you're, your fans of the women's game, which to me is the biggest growth sport of them all right now, yeah. that we have a good base of people working in it. And then you'll see people that say, I want to get into that. Specifically, I want to cover that sport. And they're going to be inspired by folks. So this is a really good place to be. And uh, it, it, it's it's exciting to see, because look, they would not have televised the Euros like this even four years ago or eight years ago. It was a small thing. And now it's yeah. every day on ESPN or ESPN2 you're getting these games live with, with yeah. studio coverage and yeah. Seti Salazar rattling off all the daughters on the Icelandic <laughs> team. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's been, it's been um, so many laughs and great coverage. And like I said, I mean, it's, it's such a fun team. I mean, we're um, every night drinking wine by, by the fire pit and stuff. And it's just, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, Max, like whenever you're with a team like this and like there's collaboration, it's awesome. That's what it's all about. And it makes the product even better. So, um, we've gotten some rave reviews and it's been fun. And like, honestly, the product on the field though speaks for itself, even if they're not the, some of them haven't been the most exciting games, right? Because depending on what's happening in group stage, that's sometimes the way it is of like, you know, try not to lose or, or what, what's at stake. So, but they, it's been, it's been great. The product's been wonderful. So I want to talk about the Euros, Euros but I wanted to speak to you with a uh, kind of a, a structured conversation about the state of the, the women's game. Not that, that makes it sound too detailed, but the state of the world cup. And that's still, well, it's going to be here pretty soon here in 2023 and qualifying and Olympic qualifying and a major competition like the Euros are going on. But I, I, I guess you start in 2019 where the United States and we'll, we'll talk, I wanted to start also with the U.S.-Canada game last night, USA beating Canada down in Monterey. Uh, that allowed them to qualify for the, uh, the Olympics. It also means that they're CONCACAF champions, which is carries some weight because Canada are the Olympic champions. So you could say the world champions versus the Olympic champions. It's a big game. And the U.S. were able to, to get that. The U.S. haven't looked like the team that ended 2019, where they just demolished everyone in their path at the World Cup. And a big part of why people tune into the women is because they love to see them demolish teams. They love me count me as well. And for two straight World Cups, that absolute domination was very satisfying but I think to myself, the best thing for this sport is if the U.S. gets some good foils. So that's why it was exciting for Canada, getting that Olympics gold medal and competing. Many people thought they were going to win the game last night. And then some of these European teams. So just structured as where the U.S. stands and where the competitors are coming, because we're getting a good look at those main competitors, because it's going to be Canada and it's going to be the how many ever European teams. 
there's the uh, Copa America going on in South America. I was watching some of that. Some of these countries are looking a little advanced, actually, like Argentina. So who knows? It just depends where they develop it. But let's start with the U.S. And I was watching that game, and, I mean, they wasted a lot of opportunities. But in the end, against a very good team, we're able to get the victory. Uh, Alex Morgan's being heralded because she was so steady and, some of these young players are so good, but they're still learning it. You would imagine they will hit their strides like Sophia Smith's and the Mallory Pews by 2023. Uh, but where, where would you put this team right now as compared to the team that lifted the World Cup trophy in 2019? I mean, that's an interesting question. I mean, I think that's always tough to put that to have that comparison right because of everything that's happened in between a lot <laughs> yeah right COVID everything um what that has looked like in terms of um pushing the Olympics back and then that condensing this um this aspect of leading up to the 2023 World Cup next year and and also just like a ton as you mentioned loads of talent that we have in some of these young players coming through and, and now getting them ingrained to to be the leaders right and to carry the weight of the team and I think there's always a, it's always fun and interesting conversation around the women's team just because of what you mentioned which is the expectations right the expectations are so high and um but at the same time i mean there's a, there's a lot of questions still being answered right in terms of the mix of like who's who's playing who's not who's making up the 23 for this roster in particular right and getting the balance right of some veteran players and young players to allow for those players to evolve the younger players to evolve um kind of naturally which like my generation and even some of the veterans now that are currently playing would have had naturally, right? And with the, the condensed schedule of what I just mentioned um, has made that a little bit more difficult. So, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to compare um, because I also think that the game has changed in rapidly in a short amount of time. And, you know, Copa America called a few of those games um, just last weekend as well. Um, and they're like, you are everywhere. <laughs> it's, um, but it's been so fun to watch all these teams, right? That is exciting. The Copa America, this is un, this, this was undiscovered. Is oh, the women, we knew about Brazil, but that was it. Yeah. And to watch, um, who did I have? Um, Venezuela, Peru. Um, they were all, it was Venezuela's great. I mean, all these teams, and you can just tell if they consistently get more resources, yeah. too, it's just leveling up because all of these players, well, not all of them, but there's more and more players that are playing professionally on a consistent basis, right? So that has just raised the level. And so, you know, we're seeing that. We're seeing that um, this would have been the toughest. I mean, I think huge credit to the U.S. Women's National Team for qualifying for the World Cup and Olympics done and dusted with that now it's about focusing on the current group what's that going to look like for 2023 i would imagine for blacko that would be some really difficult um you know answers that he has to come up with um in terms of decisions um but it's also a super exciting time because everything is getting more and more difficult that would have been the most difficult qualifying that this team had ever experienced right and they got the job done and it might not always look the prettiest right now and there's way more nuance to that question um and the reasons why but um huge credit you know to them do you I, I guess one of the things that was discussed a lot over the broadcast and leading up to that is the, the World Cup winning team is still there in, in many areas. Uh, we saw that obviously with Alex Morgan, uh, Rose Lavelle, who's still in the, in the ascendancy of her career. She's just 27. On the bench, you had a lot of heavy hitters like Kelly O'Hara, uh, Christy Mewis, um, Megan Rapino, And then some of these young players that Vladko is – is very eager to get in there. He wants to see what they have. And then we saw, uh, obviously, uh, Sophia Smith play a big role. There's Trinity Rodman, who came off the bench. Everyone came off the bench very late. Yeah. Just without, I mean, I could go through all the names, but there is a, a core group of players, 24 and under, that they're trying to uh, embed into that squad. Is that group, how close is that group to think being ready? Or if there are certain individuals you feel that are ready that could make this team better, for these next 18 critical, these critical 18 months? Oh, they're ready. They're, they're ready. They're, yeah, I, I really believe so. I mean, they're, I mean, listen, there's, there's nuance to the international game that you have to learn. Right. Um, but it's, they're loads of talent. I mean, it, it is, it is unbelievable. And I think it's just about getting the mix right and uh, being very um, 
understanding of what you want as a coach if you're a black coach to those players. Um, but, you know, Mal Pugh, Sophia Smith, starting majority of the games, the clear wingers in that in that case, I mean, brilliant players, right? And proven goal scorers. I mean, yes, maybe miss, miss some chances last night, um, but not not players that are going to miss that those opportunities very often, right? I mean, and, and it's, it's also about growth. And I think that's why getting the mix right, taking off some of that pressure, even though they are the ones that are gonna be carrying, it's not the future, right? These are the players that are in the now. So, um, but it's also alleviating and helping them along in some ways too. And, you know, with how, as I mentioned, with how the expectations being so high within that culture, that's, I would imagine would be a really welcomed, um, aspect right so but yeah i mean trinity Raman lights out last year <laughs> i mean goodness gracious i mean these mitch first right i mean these mitch players, first yeah all's, all's yeah. on the bench but, i mean i think what's also wild too um and, and i mentioned those four because they've come in and they did a really good job um and as you mentioned alex morgan and we're just talking about the front line but you have sophia huerta you have emily fox but then you're also talking about um almost a starting 11 of injured players <laughs> that's right yeah, right like or, or like maternity leave and so that, that, we, fun, right? it's crazy like, we have to remember that now, the broadcaster remember that it's a, it's there's a lot of players on maternity leave that yeah. uh will be back on this team here competing for these spots for sure so i mean there are going to be tough decisions but um these players lights out i think and it's it's really exciting time it's just really trying to like speed up the you know, that mix of players, in my opinion. Uh, Katarina Macario, obviously one of those injured players that would slide right into a starting 11 spot. Well, the U.S. obviously winning that trophy is important. Getting into the Olympics without having to play another game is obviously important. Yeah. Canada, interesting about their status. How close are you? How, how close could they be to a team that says makes a World Cup final, wins a World Cup. They have Christine Sinclair and uh, Desiree Scott, but it was a young team, and it, it's, it impressed a lot of people. Even though I thought they were pretty outplayed last night, they impressed a lot of people throughout that competition. Where do you think they are in the big picture of things? Uh, well, I think a lot of credit to Bev Creesman. Um, I mean, she's done a great job since taking over for them. And, um, you know, I think it's, a, it's a, always a fun matchup. I mean, to a lot of the things that they talked about on the broadcast, which is always like a physical match, right? It's always... It's, you know, there's a rivalry there, right? And I think with Bev Priestman is we're seeing um, that's a really good team that plays really good football. And you have one of the best goalkeepers in the world, if not the best goalkeeper right now, and Kayla she Sheridan. Was, great she system. was fantastic. And I think it's like, and, and so, and, and I think that's something to keep in mind. Like, that's a really solid team, right? And the U.S. in the second 45, I think had a quite a bit of domination in that game. So it speaks well to, to that group of, especially with like people being like, oh, we haven't played that well. You know, sometimes you just get, win ugly, get some things done with, depending on how you match up with the team. But I think, I mean, listen, winning a World Cup is, there's so many aspects to it, right? Sometimes it's luck, it's about having a good team, it's riding the waves when needed. Um, and so, a hundred percent would they be right there in the mix? I mean, listen, they won the gold medal. So, I mean, it'd be wild to us for us not to put them in there. So I think what will be interesting is going to 32 play or 32 team next year in the 2023 um, world cup. So it'll be interesting how with having even more teams now, who's in what group, how you fare. Right. So um, yeah, it's exciting time. So. When Canada lifted, obviously, when the United States lost in the uh, semifinals, it was Sweden, correct? Yeah, they, they lost to the Swedes. And then uh, uh, we lost to Canada. I'm sorry, I lost to Canada. Right. So Canada, Sweden was in the final. And yeah. obviously, when the US lost that game, um, that was, it was disappointing as an American. But then for me personally, I was like, this is, this is good for the sport because that, that was a powerhouse US team. And now, Canada has shown its intentions, which they've grown into this. So uh, having different finals obviously plays a big part in why they want to have this conversation. And the United States has to kind of reset and feel that pressure because they were, I don't want to say they were cruising, but they were dominating. And it was over the span of two World Cups. And uh, even going back to the first World Cup, which they lost to Japan, you know, most people probably could have won it. You could be looking at a U.S. team that's won three World Cups, which doesn't do a lot of favors to uh, the growth of the game because that has to, it's it's the U.S. obviously taking the catbird seat. 
So Canada, we got one. Canada, we have a team. And now we have these Euros where, uh, you know, there, obviously there were some teams that are much better than others. In, ex- in playing a tournament like this, you're going to have some squads that are going to go through some growing pains. Although I, we didn't see too many blowouts, right? I mean, there were there were some pleasant surprises. Obviously, the Spanish, I, I would imagine, and Austria starting to come up. Norway obviously started to dip. Uh, but we I mean, kind of Norway must. Lost eight. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest <laughs> Norway lost eight zero to England, and then that was that was their today. But like, yeah, I mean, I think that's a big bummer for them because they have world class strikers. But I think the, we didn't know coming into this tournament there were some major question marks about defensively how they were gonna. But eight zip. <laughs> well, listen, it's like it was a wild first half. Let's be honest. <laughs> it's but. But that's a healthy sign too that Norway can't come in and say, "Hey, we're Norway. We'll get to the, we'll get to the quarters. We'll, but we can't even get through here in the group." Where well, obviously, it, and also, yeah, and I think there's a, you go through those, right? I think you go through those moments. We see that on the men's side too. Like you go through those, and now is it kind of shifting to a bit more of the south, right? England is doing well. Spain is in the quarterfinals, and they have really um, their side has emerged quite a lot actually in the last. Um, three or four years, um, France, right? I mean, goodness gracious, that team. And, and, and if I think if they can stay consistent, they have a lot of weapons. So there's, you know, I think we're seeing some shifts, certainly. And Denmark was one of the teams that made the final in 2017. They didn't even get out of their group this time either. So, you know, Netherlands won. It was been some shaky moments for them. And, you know, you, you just see those evolutions and the ebbs and flows, I think, with different with different teams and federations, depending on development coming through. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been super interesting to see who, you know, has emerged, but then also you still are like, ah, how's this going to fare, right? Doing because of kind of what I was talking about with World Cup, like it, are there injuries? How is the team... Um, how much time have they had together, right? Is this, how long have, how much experience in this tournament have they had? I think all ways um, into how they, how you actually do. Well, and this, if this competition catches on and it, it, it's being hosted in England and they've had uh, some certain turnouts, good turnouts for the host team and some other games, and there has been interest. And now we get the best coming up here with the quarterfinals. And this, this could be a game changer in the big picture because Europe obviously is going to be the cradle where, you're going to get the, in all likelihood, the biggest competitors for the U.S. because of competitions like this, because of their pro league, because of the yeah. money that's being invested. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, that was it. Uh, but just this is, I mean, this is an exciting point. Uh, I know in the World Cup of 2019, everyone expected maybe those France and England and the Netherlands who who made the final who could have done could have knocked the U.S. off, but none of them seemed quite ready. Do you think that that has changed? I know it's a tough question, but do you think it, it, the gap is certainly closed here in 2022? Well, oh, yeah. I mean, even even what we were talking about in CONCACAF, I mean, look at the teams, Jamaica, Haiti, right, Costa Rica. I mean, in CONCACAF, it has changed, right? And we talk about Copa America as well. Um, I mean, there are some good teams. And again, it goes to resources. But I think in, in Europe, for sure, because, you know, if you look at the Women's Super League um, in, in England, it is, I mean, competition day, week in and week out. So um, then you have the, the Spanish League, La Liga, right? You have you have all these players playing at a more of a consistent level. And I think the, the Women's Super League in particular is, it's not, I wouldn't say it's, um, equivalent to the NWSL in terms of its different style of play, but the competition within that um, presents different questions to attackers, defenders. And so we're seeing that play out at the highest level now. So yeah, I mean, no doubt has the gap closed. I mean, 100%, like that's like, and, but that's what makes it exciting. I mean, we're about to enter a quarter finals. I think we could all take some picks on who we think, but you're also kind of like, well, who's going to get it done on that day too, right? <laughs> who matches up well, who doesn't, you know? So look, I get excited because I think we could certainly lead into a world cup where it is kind of like we've seen recently in the men's where we like, who do you think is going to win it? We go, I don't know. And this yeah. one's going to be in Australia, New Zealand, which obviously brings the hosts into play. But I, like I said about what I've told people about the men's world cup in Qatar, it's open because it's in Qatar. And this being in Australia opens it up as well, because everyone's going to be in the same boat, long travel, 
different conditions, obviously, than they'd be accustomed to heading into the Southern Hemisphere. As I mentioned the travel, it's going to be it's going to be obscene that this as everything shapes up, this could be that showpiece event that changes it much like certain World Cups on the men's side did. Oh, yeah, certainly. I, I mean, listen, I've been saying this for several months now. I think this is going to be the biggest women's sporting event we've ever seen. I wow. think it is going to, I think Australia and New Zealand are going to blow it out of the water. I think the product on the field with the, the, the players, the talents, I think it is going to be so fun. And I also think it's going to continue to highlight, too, um, teams that need more resources, right? Putting pressure on federations yes. to put more resources in. And I, I said this during the 2015 World Cup when Thailand had the um, the old men's, um, their hand-me-downs, right? Essentially the men, they were wearing the old men's um, uniforms. And I'm like, you know, there's a lot of like about it, uh, discussion around that in social media. And I'm like, yes, they need more resources and this is the best way to get it though. Get like, you know, bring light to that because everyone needs more resources. And that's where an interesting thing, I think, with this U.S. women's national team in terms of leading the way in equal pay with our men's team, because it just continues to push other federations, highlights the inequities and and where we're going. And I, I really think this with the talent level that's going to be on display, it's going to be freaking absurd. And so fun. <laughs> it is going to be so fun. Get money. Bring the money. Bring the money. So what yeah. you did you say biggest women's sporting event ever? I think so. Yeah, I really I just want to I just want to get the quote right. because That was very like, strong, Lori. Yeah, well, because I mean, listen, we're up into 32, you know, and there's always conversation around that. But I listen, get more teams. We want more teams. Yeah, like like they everyone needs experience. Right. And they need to be experiencing um, this level of play as well and the federations and they need backing i mean i'm, I'm looking at like this jamaica team in Concacaf. They're, they're close like, right they have the players they just not, need a, still not getting all the support they deserve and imagine how, how good they are right bunny shaw is running around like it's freaking amazing so and she's going to be playing with man city and so there's just it's 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 an important time you know yeah. it's been and, an important time and it's still, it very much is so and i think what you said it makes carries so much weight because once you see it, when the casuals watch it and they're say it's a Jamaican football federation and they're going, look at this party, we've got to get into this. How do we get into it? Cause we're getting closer. Yeah. And I, I agree with you. It's going to pop off the screen. And by the way, the men's world cup going to 48 teams and everyone hates it. And the women's are going to 32 and everyone's going to love it. Cause it's going to feel like a throwback. I go, this yeah. is the way it's supposed to be. I can't stand yeah. this 48T World Cup. Yeah. Who's playing who? <laughs> so you might back it. The, the women's game might back into something pretty cool there. But I'm with you. I just don't see how this thing isn't a monster. And where, where people watch it with the pushing of FIFA going, look, you don't, you can't miss this event because there's a dollar sign or a euro sign or whatever attached to it as well, where uh, your federation your sport can improve greatly on both sides, men's and women's, by participating in this regularly. So I'm yeah. with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm pumped for it. I'm excited. Let's for the, uh, for the players too. I am, yeah, I'm I'm starting to pass the hat. I have to talk to my wife about a road trip down to Australia, New Zealand. <laughs> You're driving there, I see. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take all the, the Qantas uh, airliner uh back of the back of the plane and the cheap seats that you buy like a year and a half in advance i'm just kidding but yeah by the way there's like there's like from la there's like i, I go to the airport i'm flying to like miami or minneapolis and i look at the board there's like eight direct flights to sydney and then like five to melbourne every day from lax yeah. it's bananas book them now book them now, now there yeah. might be might be some room on there i might get a whole row <laughs> maybe not for the world cup let me circle back to the Euros, get an idea of what we're expecting, because I'll go through the games. Wednesday, England, Spain. England have been uh, phenomenal. That's going to be at the, uh, the the Farmer Stadium, which is where Brighton plays. So these, these venues have been illuminated. It's going to be bonkers. I can't wait to see the optics in that one. England, yeah. certainly I would imagine the favorite. I'll see what you think. Germany is Germany. They take on the Austrians, who have been pretty... Uh, a, a really wonderful story. That'll be Thursday, one game per day. Friday, Sweden, Belgium. Saturday, France, the Netherlands. I would have, you have seemingly favorite. I mean, the Netherlands is the outlier that they feel like a, like a pot one team, but they have to try and beat the French. But it would seem like England, Germany, Sweden, France, which would be an incredible semifinal. 
But yeah. uh, how do you see it? Who is the favorite? And is there an, a, a surprise packet in there you think could uh, just upset the tournament? Because we know those are the stories that people gravitate towards. Yeah, well, listen, I mean, any of those teams in the in the Final Four would be amazing. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, it's so um, listen, I, I think like, you, you know, coming in, England was one of the favorites. I mean, I, I, you know, Emma Hayes, who's been in the studio for us, who's the Chelsea head coach, has been phenomenal, so fun. She's been really good, by the way. I've really enjoyed yeah, her analysis. Yeah, yeah. We've it's been good stuff. having a great time. And like every night we're all like, you know, chit-chatting and drinking wine and hanging out. Talking hitting up, hitting up talking. Central Connecticut, the best that it has to offer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> West Hartford has been awesome, actually. We're saying I, like, I miss West Hartford. Stuff. I miss West Hartford. Yeah. I got to go visit again. That was our old home when we lived there. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it's fun. So she she knows that team through and through, obviously. And, you know, they're that is the best team that they put out. So there's a lot of expectations for them, also the host country. But they have done really well. They've shown really well. I think Spain is going to pose a different issue in terms of how comfortable England is um, without the ball and um defending right so that's gonna be a fun matchup i do think in the end because you know what has been a little bit clearer in my opinion with spain in the way that they play is how much i mean yes if you're looking at patelis and hermosa who were two of their best players two of the best players in the world and um you know they're injured before this tournament you no doubt are going to be like they're going to be feeling that but i think it's been even more clear with how they play and the continuity of the team just how important they are to the other players around too you're not just missing them it's it's everything else around too so i i would pull for sweden in that one or excuse me for england in that one still um especially i think they are going to be fired up and um Bigman, their coach, I think, you know, understands what it takes to win this tournament. But let's just go through these other ones quickly. I mean, <laughs> Germany. So you're picking, also. you're picking England. I, yeah, I presume. I okay. In the end, I do think in the end they they'll have a little bit more. I think they'll be up for it defensively. Uh, but listen, I I think it it could be. It's one of those ones. I think all of these are depend on like the day, right? Who's showing up and stuff. I mean, I think the interesting about the Germany Austria. Germany's been my favorite team called their first game of this tournament. And I'm like, this is the real deal, right? Like this feels like the German team of old with like these like super interesting midfielders that have like a little bit of a Spanish flair. And they, and they did slip off the bumper in, the, in recent years, which was odd, but they seem like they're back at their yeah, best. Yeah, they had a little bit, yep. And it was like a, after the 2016 Olympics when they won, have had a few years. So there's been a lot of a rebuilding that I think has felt like it was taking longer than a lot of people expected. But I mean, they're back with a vengeance this time. They've been fun. I mean, they've been my favorite. But I think Austria will pose a different um, test for them because Austria is a team that has sat back defensively, and that's not something that Germany has seen this in this tournament <laughs> yet. And listen, I think this is for a whole other podcast, Max, but one thing I will say quickly is that like this seems to be the evolution, in my opinion, of women's soccer because there's always a lot of conversation around the U.S. team and how they deal with teams that sit back defensively and are structured and how it's difficult for them to break down. We have seen that in this tournament in Euros. Teams it's worked. It's hard for teams to break that down. And we saw it in Copa America. Brazil yesterday had a hard time with Venezuela who sat back, right? So it will be interesting as more and more resources are put in, as the game continues to even develop any more, more even develops more, how you won't always see teams just sit back because they'll have other avenues to be able to play against. So anyway... I, I still oh, I, let me ju let me jump in real quick because we we always attach sitting back defensively as a negative thing and it generally it oh, is yeah. when you when you allow someone to play but if if it's effective everyone would do it but not everyone can do it it is a, it is a technical skill being able to squeeze those games and basically get a team that's much better than you to come to their knees in many ways and get a result from them so if if it's if if it was that easy everyone would do it but it's not yeah, and I don't want to also paint the picture too um, of like teams just sitting like eleven back in in their own yeah. in their box, right? That's not what's happening. And there's honestly, if they did that, they'd get burnt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and there's some real, but there's some real defensive organization structure and game plan, right? So I expect that that's what Austria is going to do against Germany. So it'll be interesting, but I still give Germany the um, go ahead on that one for sure. And you know, Sweden, I think coming into their own played well in their third the third match of this tournament started off a little bit slow um so i give them you know the one up over um belgium and then the france netherlands listen france is loaded and they tied iceland in the end there in their groups 
but, so, but I think with the, the, always the conversation around France um, is start off really well and then can't keep with the consistent um, play, but they have loads of talent. I'm rooting for them. I like them a lot. They obviously lost Kototo, um, their number nine to an in, knee injury, um, which is a big bummer because she's awesome. And, but they, they have such good players. So I, I give them, if they, if they're showing up and, and they have that continuity on the field, I mean, they're going to, they're fun. So, and I think just the way that Netherlands, Netherlands will be interesting. Lika Martins is out now. What does that look like? Who you replace? So it'll be interesting, but I, I'm probably going to give France the, the, the one up on that. So we'll see. But yeah, if it's, if it's France, England, um germany and sweden <laughs> the final four holy crap <laughs> that's what i was gonna say so you would have england germany in one semifinal is it that i don't know if no, that's no, right. be, um it they would meet in the final I'm okay gonna... so it would be let me see i'm I looking at the um, if i remember correctly I, I i should have known this but um i have the wrong app open but okay so you'd have england germany sweden france in your semifinals yeah, And I, I'm going to predict this. If that happens, Lori, you're going to get an, a company-wide email from ESPN shortly thereafter saying, congratulations, team. We have just blown the doors off of Euro <laughs> ratings numbers here uh, yeah. by 300% uh, because you have these teams at the business end. And that's what you wait for. You know, this is yeah. a tournament to develop. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, so it's actually um, quarterfinal one, England versus um, Spain versus the Sweden-Belgium game. Okay, so and England, we're, Sweden, we're, Germany, France. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's what I'm thinking. But listen, I'm not like, I've just been so enjoying the games. I'm rooting for awesome. I'm rooting for everyone to show up at their best. That's really what it's been like for me. And Knowing you, now you get to the semifinals, your first instinct will be, oh my God, we only have a couple games left. I don't well, want this to end. So we'll call through the like, course and then Julie will go over to um, England for the semis and the oh, final. Yeah, Julie going to stamp that passport again. Ah. wonder if she has enough pages left. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, but it's been, it's been awesome. So let me close this conversation by making a list. And you tell me, uh, based on this pecking order, who is a team that could win a World Cup? So USA, yes. Canada, Canada, did they do it? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think, listen, I think at this point in time, again, you could list off a ton and I would say, yeah, I, I do believe. I, I mean, I think there's some teams, you know, I think like a Spain, like I, I think they're awesome. And I think they have to have all their players and I think they have to develop a number nine. Somebody that's going to be a vertical threat in behind more so. So Spain right? are close to being a team that could reach that that first tier of, Oh, they're already first year. I don't put oh, them wow. in first year. I think that they're first year. They've made some major developments. Yes, there's there's other things that I think, like I said, number nine, right? I think they have to find a number nine to really constantly put teams under pressure in a different way. But I mean, they're brilliant on the ball in the way they, they're pressing, the way they recover the ball. Yes. I mean, you look at France, complete team, as long as they, you know, stay the course. I mean, that is a dominant that they have so many aspects that are amazing. And then, I mean, look at England, right? I mean, this is a team that like, that's a def that's a definite team that could win the world cup. And their depth. Yeah. There's depth. And also I think, but within all of this, right. It's not always just about like naming teams and being like, yes, they can. Cause there's nuance, right. There's nuance. <laughs> this, I just plod forward and can they yeah. win it or no, not? I appreciate, it. <laughs> I appreciate it. But it's always kind of like one of those questions where there's like, there's so many aspects, healthy, healthiness of the team in terms of like, who's available, um, the depth, um, who's the host, right? What are the expectations? Um, I mean, I think there's, there's so many, there's so many different, um, questions and it's why that we see that on the men's side, right? You never, you're kind of like, well, there's could be quite a few that would win depending on what's given to them and what they look like going into the tournament and how they start. Right. We and say that, but then the list realistically comes down to five or six by the end. But, oh, certainly. I mean, not all 32 teams are going to be able to win the tournament. Well, I understand. But even the 2019, I think realistically, and maybe it's hindsight, I would have said maybe four teams could have won it. Yeah. Well, I also think, but too. Maybe that list has doubled at least this time around. Yeah. And I also think one of the major things, too, and it's like this is why it's such an interesting tournament, I think, in particular um, for England, is to learn those winning ways because they haven't won. Right. Yeah, that's key. And that is a huge thing for the U.S. That culture of winning, the depth, the understanding of how sometimes you just gotta grind out. It doesn't it doesn't matter? 
And so that's why these Euros are important. That's why these other tournaments that teams, and, and it's quite frankly been difficult for the U.S. to get really quality games because other teams are putting together tournaments, right? You're learning, they're like, hey, we can do this. Let's put together these, these tournaments. We're learning how to win. We're developing, right? So yeah, I mean, there's just like so much to the discussion. It's just, but it's freaking off. I mean, I keep going back to it. <laughs> So yeah. I got, this is my list, USA, Canada, England, Germany, Sweden, France, Netherlands, Spain. I'm going to put Australia because they're hosting. Uh, anything in the, I mean, Brazil, we would, but there, it seems like they're kind of back end of a cycle. I don't think we could put them there, even though there's some good emergence in South America. And by the way, I saw your tweet where there was in the uh, African Cup of Nations, the Women's African Cup of Nations, and it was Morocco, Nigeria, yeah. 45,000 people. Yeah, setting records. It's amazing. I'm telling you, it's like, it is awesome. Don't sleep on these these teams, you know? I mean, we yes, we've seen the regular ones that have had, like, a lot of support. But, like, I mean, I go back to Haiti and Jamaica, you know, even just in CONCACAF. So, I mean, these are, these are teams that are producing really good players and give them a little bit more time. And that looks like a very different team once they're together, you know? So... Lori, we would have to do it a second time. I want to talk about the men's game because I know we've called some games together and that's a passion yeah. of yours as well. But we'll, we'll get there. We'll, we'll collaborate here soon and we'll, we'll yeah. be able to chat, open that conversation because I know you're going to be dialed in for the men's world cup yeah. as well in here. It's never yeah. ending. How do we watch all these games is the question. We don't. That's the thing. <laughs> we make believe. You're right. It's make believe. <laughs> People ask us, how about that game? Yeah, it was great. Number nine, really solid. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Get the high line, just speaking cliches and we can get away. You're right. I got a lot of make-believe, but uh, yeah. hey, I really appreciate this conversation. And uh, with my podcast, I always say that if I can sit here and, and get smarter about things, it makes it all the world worthwhile. And I got a lot smarter in the time we spent together. So I appreciate <laughs> yeah, it. It's always great to see you. Thanks for having me on. And um, yeah, let's see it again soon. And Lori, the best of peeps. You'll put a smile on your face. Just uh, salt of the earth, good people. Catch her on here as the, the Euros will... Uh, Get back in action here on Wednesday. That is the business, and I'll be back with stoppage time. We'll talk about Greg Berhalter's media tour and how that's gone thus far. We'll be back. now for stoppage time here on the soccer og and greg berhalter is doing a media tour he appeared on football americas with hercules gomez and sebastian salazar two former guests on our uh, podcast here he also is with colin cowherd who's big uh, a proponent of the game uh, i actually got a name drop on there colin dropped because i keep in touch with colin on social media I used to work with him at espn so that's tremendous and I hope more people do what Colin does and bring on these soccer guests when you get the opportunity. Because most of the folks in the in the main soccer in the main sports cycle, soccer just it really doesn't resonate enough. We need help, so that's why these things are so valuable. You know, I saw Greg Berhalter on with Scott Van Pelt like a year ago, I believe, and that's uh, that all helps because uh, we're trying to make new fans. And I remember I actually had an interesting conversation with Scott Van Pelt when I was at ESPN. And he goes, and I talked to him about how soccer gets on these shows and what's going to do it. And he goes, well, I'm going to tell you, he goes, the soccer fan is a, makes, is a real turnoff because you try to get involved and then they lecture you and they give you a bill of goods and they say, this is what you got to do to be a real fan. And if you, if you sound dumb or we don't want to hear your take. And I go, there's a lot of truth in that. And we've got to change it. We've got to be more welcoming to new fans and give them a reason to tune in. And that's why I do this podcast, because if you are timid because you want to watch the sport and you don't really feel like you can give a take that will not get laughed at, it won't. It won't. Ask dumb questions. If you think they're dumb, they're probably not. But get involved, because especially with the World Cup, you're going to enjoy it. And then you can maybe parlay that into other things as you uh, expand your fandom. And then you can give hot takes like you want. But don't let anyone pressure you. Don't get bullied. We're not having that. And if I see it, I'm going to start calling people on it because uh, we as a fan base have to be more welcoming because we need the support from all parties. So uh, we can take a closer look. And I, I know Greg Berhalter is going to continue that media tour with some more soccer specific uh, destinations, but I hope there are more big picture 
um, big picture distributors that will use this because they're all aligned with the sport. You know, ESPN's involved with the national team. Fox is involved with the national team. Colin Coward's show airs on Fox. He has Alexi Lalas on there a lot of the time. You have CBS as well involved. So you got to find those places where you can get that in. And I'll tell you why in particular. Because Greg Berhalter is good in these spots. Greg Berhalter is good. We can argue about how he has managed the the national team. I think it's hard to give him anything worse than, a, say, a C plus. And I give him somewhere in the B for how he's managed this team. Yes, you would have liked them to have qualified much sooner for the World Cup than they did. But they qualified, and now we head to the World Cup with a team that looks ready, which you couldn't have said. I think he's, as I've said in the past, he's done a good job of incorporating the young players. Because remember, people were upset that Jossie Zardes and Jackson Yule and Sebastian Legette were on the team, and they thought these guys were going to the World Cup. Well, lo and behold, they're not. And they were just a buffer to get these young players. Getting back to Greg. He is good in these positions. He's a likable guy. He has credibility for days. People forget that. And again, if if he has a horrible World Cup and things go pear-shaped, then Greg should be should be gone. But right now, with in particular with the equity he's built in by beating Mexico four straight times, by winning the Copa, the Gold Cup, by uh, winning the Nations League, and by qualifying for the World Cup, albeit not in barnstorming fashion then he has built up that equity. So he does these tours, and you remember, and I know people forget, because I saw a video of where Greg is dribbling a ball on the sideline, and someone's like, on uh, Twitter, someone who sh- should know better, hey, Berhalter's got skills. And I'm like, yeah, he's one of the best players this country's ever produced. He played in the biggest game in the history of our national team. The round of 16 in the 2002 World Cup. He was the starting center back for the United States when we beat Mexico. He played the even bigger game, the quarterfinal game against Germany. He was in there. Greg Berhalter played in five different leagues. He played in England. He played in Germany. He played in the Netherlands. He played in the second division, the first division. He played in Scandinavia. He played in Major League Soccer. This is a, a supreme talent who knows the sport, who has built relationships all over the world. Is he the the very best choice for a national team manager? There are guys that have a better uh, resume. But for an American, he's up there. So we're not talking about whether he should have got hired, uh, whether he was everyone's first choice. But he has the credibility, and he is interesting in this. Now, I want to give Sebi and Hercules a ton of credit because the way they interviewed him on Football Americas, and check it on ESPN+, Plus. it's from Monday, July 18th show, and they did a great job of, A, asking hard questions, which he answered, but he answered them because he they helped put his guard down. He put his guard down, so he answered them. So they asked about John Brooks. He was pretty, uh, he, he crushed John Brooks in, in so many words. He, he kind of put it out there. We we're all asking about, hey, John Brooks, uh, what's the issue? Why isn't he in the national team? Well, Greg Berhalter kind of painted the picture for you. He needs to he needs to play. Maybe he needs to find a club where he plays for the national team. The way he plays is not going to translate to the national team the way it is right now. And right now, I don't know what's up with John Brooks. I look, he's not getting overwhelmed with offers. There's an offer for Turkey, and then there's an offer, there was an offer or there was some rumors about Fulham where he would be like a reserve center back. Fulham's in the Premier League, it's great. But this isn't a defender that is knocking people over. I mean, there is a you know proceed with caution kind of thing with John Brooks, for whether you want to think of it or not. I'm just looking at it from now. So if Greg Berhalter is saying John Brooks isn't right for the national team, but Fulham brings him in for $40 million, and you're like, hey, Berhalter, what's going on? But that's not the case. The market is showing you that John Brooks is not rated as highly as we might think. I, don't, I didn't mean that to be the first topic, but it's the first thing I saw here on me piece of paper. So uh, there you are. So uh, I thought he was very upfront with that. And again, Hercules and Sebi deserve the credit. I loved how they spoke with him about his memories. And he talked about the 2002 World Cup. Um, I've spoken to Greg many times and he's very forthright. He is very open and he's very considerate. 
So uh, I like to hear those stories because I think it all goes into the mixer. He mentioned about players leaving MLS too early, which is something we talked about. And you, there is these cautionary tales. And Brian Reynolds and George Bello are the guys they mentioned. Kevin Paredes was mentioned by Sebi as well. That they go here, you want to go. But we need the agents and the clubs to be wiser about this because these guys are losing a year of their career. Brian Reynolds may be more of that. So I'm glad Greg Berhalter said that. And we can, we can bring that in and see uh, where, that, where we stand with... I think he said, until you're dominating MLS, then don't leave it. I mean, that's, you can't obviously abide by that because a lot of good young players who have succeeded um, and were ready for it, you don't want to d- diminish that. But there are players that you, you know, I think Brian Reynolds and George Bella, we could have all said, not ready, not quite ready. But they went, and now they're learning a lesson, and they have to hit a reset button a bit along the way. So there's so many topics. He mentioned the goalkeeper, and he was very honest. He goes, we don't know. I I don't know how, how are we going to solve this. But he said he spoke to Casey Keller, and he mentioned that a goalie doesn't need to be playing to be your number one which was interesting because I had Casey on this podcast as well. And we talked about that and we kind of hedged our bets. You want them to play, but it's not a, a one-all end-all if Matt Turner between now and then, and by the way, we're officially four months away from the World Cup. It's here. These four months are going to fly back, fly by. Matt Turner plays two or three games between then and now. Should that discourage him from being the number one in Qatar? Sounds like it shouldn't based on what Greg Berhalter has said. Similar thing with the number nines. Who are these guys that will score? I, I, I heard him in not only with Sebi and Herc, but somewhere else where he's encouraged by some of these guys and where they're going. The championship's going to be really exciting to see if Daryl DK, and I'm optimistic about DK, and if Josh Sargent can deliver and score goals. Because if they do, they can move up the pecking order, maybe all the way up to the pecking order, as in number one, number nine. Jordan Pifak going to Union Berlin. He mentioned him. There are This job is still open. Jesus Ferreira is the front runner, but it's not his job. Ricardo Pepe. I can't wait to see him. I'm, I'm going to make a list of things I want to see in the new European League. And Ricardo Pepe started Augsburg is right at the top. So uh, there's a lot of great developments. The, the player pool has gotten better in every month with this summer market, which is still going. We, we, we expect a couple more American players to make a move at the top level, the middle won't be Christian Pulisic, as I said earlier, but some other guys that will pop around there. I also liked what Greg said on the Cowherd show, where, which is something I've addressed here, but it was good to hear him say it, that um, Qatar is a different animal. Teams that can adapt and are flexible are going to be successful, which to me describes the U.S. team. I think they can adapt and I think they're very flexible. Uh, everyone's got a week out to get ready for it, so it throws everything out of whack. I tend to think in a World Cup, which is a little off the cuff, like Korea-Japan, it should benefit the U.S. And I can't give you a tangible evidence why, but I, I think that they uh, they can blend in. And the, the adaption part is something that they will be able to benefit. And they're a young group of kids that are going in there uh, looking for this incredible adventure. So teams that get along with each other, Teams that don't have problems or a player that's upset, they will benefit if you put that all into the pot. So there were many things. I, I did. This was also on Football Americas with an interview from Christian Pulisic and uh, Hercules. And when I'm getting this out, I'm getting this out of a whack. Let me pull this up really quick. I have my paperwork here. You can't see it, which is good, but. Christian Pulisic said about Greg Berhalter, I think he's the type of manager that players just want to fight for. He puts a great energy into the team and makes us want to fight. I'm sure that describes a lot of managers. But Christian Pulisic didn't need to say that. These American players are on board. There is a good energy around the U.S. camp. These players like each other. These players look out for each other. I think the Weston McKinney situation, which was also brought up on Football Americas and how they dealt with that, Gave Weston McKinney a second chance, and he's paid it back in bushels. All of that plays into the fact 
Qatar is a different animal. So good news for the U.S. Good to see Greg Berhalter out there. He's a good dude. He's Me and him are very different people. I've had those conversations, so I got to limit how I am because, you know, me, I'm emotions on my sleeve. But he's an honest guy, and uh, he'll shoot straight. And I hope he's successful. And maybe he's not the guy for 2026, but we'll find out a lot more. The Soccer OG Podcast. Rate, review, download, subscribe, vote, tell a friend. We'll be back bigger and better than ever, even though we're doing these on the midweek more and more, as I always like to sign off with Placido Domingo.